Entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who seek excellence. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Here's Marty Wolf. Hey, welcome to the Business Builders Show. My name is Marty Wolf. I'm the host for the Business Builders Show. And my special guest with me today is Cynthia Covey Haller. Hi, Cynthia. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Marty. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, I am too. I've become, uh, I think, kind of part of the family. I've, I've <laughs> read your dad's book, Stephen R. Covey, Seven Habits, and a couple of his other books, and recently interviewed your brother, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey. So it's such an honor to have you. And we're going to talk about your book, which is titled Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. I'm going to do a brief introduction for Cynthia, and she is an author, teacher, speaker, and an active participant in her community. She has contributed to the writing of several books and articles, notably The Third Alternative by Stephen R. Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and The Six Most Important Decisions You'll Ever Make, both by Sean Covey. Cynthia has held multiple leadership positions in women's organizations, served as a PTSA president, an organizer for refugee aid, and food pantry volunteer. And she is currently working with her husband as a service volunteer helping with employment needs. She graduated from Brigham Young University and lives with her family in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. And Cynthia, it's again, it's a pleasure to have you. And I'm, if you'll allow me, I'm going to go to page 240 in the book. And this is what it says. I think it sets the tone a little bit for us. Page 240 again. This is ultimately the purpose of this book, to inspire and encourage you to actively seek out your personal purpose and mission at whatever phase of life you happen to be. So, Cynthia, again, welcome. And I'd like to have you explain uh, how this book all came together. Uh, I guess you started together with your dad and then you finished. So tell me how about how that all came about. Thanks, Marty. I'd love to. So years ago, uh, my dad and I were discussing um, his work and I foolishly said to him, um, hey, are you going to ever write anything as good or as successful or impactful as The Seven Habits? Well, not intending to insult him, but I think I did because he said immediately, you think I'm one and done? Is this all I've got? Why do I get up every day and pretend to write and to teach and to try to contribute if my best work has already been out there? So he truly believed that uh, like his like his mission statement, live life from crescendo, that his most important work was still to come. And he did go on to write The Eighth Habit that was very successful, The Third Alternative. He was involved in a couple other books. And now his last one that I completed since um, he passed away, um, I finished it in his behalf and at his request to get this out, this great message that you need to live in crescendo and you still have important work ahead of you. Yeah. So why did he feel that way? What was what were the conversations like that you would have with him or he would have with his family? Why, why do you think he felt that his most important work was still ahead of him? And why did he feel compelled to tell that story? Well, um, 
let me give a little example. Uh, my brother David, you know some of our family, so I have another brother David who's who's author and also an author. And uh, at, at 64, my dad and mom decided to build their dream home. <laughs> and so he he was, we, there's nine children. I'm the oldest. I'm known as the mother hen of the family. <laughs> and um, he, uh, my brother David was at the work site, and he just was incredulous that he would undertake this task at what he assumed was the end of his life <laughs> at 64. Of course, you know, when you're yeah. younger, that's what you think. So he stood at this work site with his arms up and and just bellowed to my dad at the sunset of his life. And yet he builds. <laughs> but my dad didn't look at it that way. He, you know, he getting his dream home and building what he wanted for his family at 64. He wasn't building a home. He was building a, he was building a vision for our family, a place where we could gather, where cousins could become best friends a place to connect and relax and enjoy relationships. And that was kind of indicative of, of this idea, your most important work is always ahead. He really felt uh, when he would meet people at all walks of life and in different situations, and they were discouraged, maybe they'd just gone through a divorce, maybe their uh, business had failed, um, they were having estranged from their children or having trouble um, physically, um, weren't healthy or something. And he felt like, you know what? Your life is ahead. Don't look. He, he talked about not looking in the rearview mirror. It's like if you were driving a car and you're trying to get somewhere and you constantly were looking over your shoulder at what, what you left or looking in your rearview mirror instead of focusing on what's ahead. And you would, you would end up in a ditch. Yeah. And so he talked about look ahead to what you can do now. Learn from the past. And, and contribute still. You, you may have the, your best stuff still ahead of you. Yeah. Well, I relate to being over 64, so I don't feel I'm anywhere near. <laughs> I'm way past 64, and I got a lot to do yet. I, I have a, a whole Covey family to interview yet. For That's goodness right. Sake. There's still, there's nine of us. You've still got a lot more to go, to go. And in my case, I'm 65 right now, and I had to live in Crescendo to put this book out. I feel like I've been, you, you know, I've been a been raising kids and doing work in the community and now i feel like this is my next important work yeah how many children did you have you mentioned that somewhere I, in my yeah, writing but i have i have six children and uh they're all married and i'm blessed with 21 grandkids <laughs> wow <laughs> so Boy, it's a little that, wild that, and that crazy but it's fun. <laughs> yeah that's good that's great so um you know, I, I took different snippets of the book that I wanted to talk about. And uh, as I read it, as you know, and I, and I really enjoyed it, it hit home to me very personally. And um, probably because of my later, uh, I don't think of it as my later stage, but my next act, if you will. And, yeah. and one thing in the book, it says, and I'm going to ask you, what do you mean when you say life is a mission, not a career? Life is a mission, not a career. Tell me more about that. My father was inspired by that idea from his grandfather who taught him that. And he felt like that was a paradigm shift for him. Mm. To him, it meant that don't just identify with who you are by your career, your job, your profession. Like I'm a teacher, I'm a businessman, I'm a doctor, I'm a construction worker. You're so much more than that. Um, he, he, he always quoted Viktor Frankl. And he admired him so much because talk about a man who lived in Crescendo after going through um, Ostwe uh, Dachau and the, the death camps that he did and what he endured. 
but he right. taught that we don't invent our missions, we detect them. Yeah. So my dad believed that it's up to us to to figure out what what is our unique mission in life based on your own talents, your skills, your passions, mm. the needs mm. you see around you. We kind of all can sense or detect within ourselves if we're true to our conscience, listen to our conscience, tell you what do you care about, what do you value, and what can you do to make a difference for others. And this, yeah. I think, is is your mission. And yeah. you have a lifetime to pursue it. Yeah, well, that was, that was very good. So, again, from the book, your definition of leadership, if I read this correctly or wrote this correctly, it says a uh, definition of leadership is communicating another's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. I'm going to say that again. Communicating another's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. Whoa, that's that's a, quite the statement. That, that was his best definition of leadership. Yeah. He believed leadership was a choice, not a position. And if you think in your life, who who believed in you when maybe no one else did? I think everybody, if you if you would ask them, who who believed in you, who saw potential in you when someone else didn't? He had um, a leader when he was a, a young man uh, who put a lot of trust in him and gave him way more responsibility than he felt that he deserved or could handle. And he asked him to train some other leaders that were two and three times his age. And he, this was so far out of his comfort zone that it terrified him. But yet, because this leader believed in him and, and affirmed him, you can do this. I see potential in you. I can see that you could be a great leader and could, and could, and can do this training. Then he, he started to believe it in himself and just started tr doing it, just jumped in. And he found his life's work in doing that. He found he actually loved to teach. And, yeah. and connected with people and had and was able to inspire people in meaningful ways that they could uh, be motivated to change. He was going to go into his family's hotel business. Um, they had a business called Covey's Little America in, mm. um, in Wyoming and in Salt Lake City. And that was the plan. He was going to Harvard and then going to the business. But because this leader saw in him potential in training and in teaching, it changed the whole trajectory of his career and really his life and influence. So somebody believed in him so much and put that into his heart and his mind so that eventually your dad saw it in himself and took action on it. Wow, exactly. that's, that's really great. Um, so we've been talking about choosing to live life in crescendo, not a dimin... I can't say that word. <laughs> diminuendo. There you go, diminuendo. So what does that mean? So I see that in the book. So what does that mean as opposed to crescendo? Talk to me about that. Okay, good question, Marty. Um, the crescendo mentality is throughout the whole book, and it's a paradigm, like a, like a pair of glasses that you put on, perspective that you see everything else. Mm. We're, we're encouraging adopting this crescendo, crescendo mentality. We use musical um, examples like a crescendo, if you know the symbol, um, is, you know, starts at a point and then extends out and the yeah. lines never touch again. It expands. So living in crescendo means that you continue to learn, to grow, to expand, to improve 
to um, accomplish great things as you go on. Um, the opposite is, is also a symbol, dominiendo, and that symbol is the exact opposite. It starts out, out far, and then it comes together to a point, and so it shows that you are slowing, that you are um, not contributing anymore, that you don't have influence, that you are it, it fading, and it actually comes to an end. And so just to use a quick example um, in, that I used in the book, I talked about a man named Ray Hinton, who was who was basically framed for a couple of murders he didn't commit. And he was he was a good person who knew that he was innocent and he trusted in the legal system, which failed him. And he ended up on death row and he was devastated and he, he didn't know how to respond. So he was so angry he threw his Bible under his prison bed and decided, "I'm that's it, I'm done. And he, for three years, he uh, shut down. He did not speak to any of the of those inmates next to him in the cells. He did not speak to the guards. He didn't communicate. He shut his life down uh, for three long, miserable years. And one night, late at night, he heard a man in the next cell just crying and sobbing, asking for someone to help him. And some, that awakened in him his truer self. And he really, he had compassion for this person and he wanted to help. And he broke his silence and he, he, he found out what was wrong. And the man had just found out his father, his mother had passed away mm-hmm. and he was devastated. So he spent the night speak comforting this man he didn't know, hearing stories of, of his mother and the wonderful person she was. And he, it, this, this just rocked his world. He said, I realized that I, I don't have the choice to be on death row. I do have the choice how I'm going to respond to it. I still have choices. Hate and despair and um, were choices, but so was love and compassion. And so from that point on, he, he dusted off his Bible. He, he, he got his beliefs back that I am going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to enlarge my circle of influence, basically. And he started... Yeah. He was living in Dominiendo and he started living in Crescendo and encouraging people around him, um, helping them, talking to guards and became, his circle of influence grew to where he was, he started a book club in prison. He had a lot of, um, the, the authorities gave him a lot more freedom to help others and he became a light and a beacon to those around him. Well, ultimately, just to, to, to finish it real quick, um, he, was able to get a hold of Brian Stevenson, who was the Equal Justice Initiative lawyer, who who got and it worked for years and got him out of prison. He was totally unjustly convicted, and after thirty almost thirty years, he he was freed, and he walked out the door and said to his family and friends, "The sun does shine." Living in crescendo all this time, his influence expanding, and now he is a ju- he is an advocate, a speaker. Um, he helps others that have been unjustly imprisoned and convicted. He works at just Equal Justice Initiative. His life has just expanded. His circle of influence is enormous. And so yeah, that, that's just kind story. of an example of crescendo versus diminuendo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think what, what we talked about earlier is that there are people my age, I'll say my age, uh, they're retired uh, they've gone fishing, they've mentally checked out, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, and I think sometimes we have a response, at least I feel I have a responsibility to share work like this, like your work, 
so that I can do my part in communicating their worth so that they see it in themselves, Cynthia. And, I, and that's what your book reminded me of, is that I have a responsibility. Uh, again, I'm busier than I've ever been. I mean, I'm I'm on a whole new trajectory of life. See, that, <laughs> see that's amazing. But Marty, you're living in Crescendo. This is your unique mission to help others find theirs. And by yeah. having me on, and I'm able to share this with your audience. Yeah. And you're right, at, 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 our, at our age, um, a lot of people, or, or even people in the workplace, if they don't like their boss, if they've been shut down, their ideas, if they can't, um, they don't feel, if they don't make enough money, if they're not appreciated and they're underused, what, yeah. what is the choice to, to live in dominiendo in the workplace and basically, as they say, quietly quit, which is yeah. emotionally and uh, mentally check out, be stagnant, only give the minimum, or can they expand their circle of influence and decide, I can't choose my boss, I can't choose this job right now, but I can choose how I respond to it, and I'm going to do everything I can to enlarge my circle of influence and to have a better situation. And yeah. 9 out of 10, those people come out on top, and they do exactly that, and they start yeah. living the crescendo mentality. So my guest is Cynthia Covey-Haller. Uh, you can't find her on LinkedIn. Is it okay to mention that, Cynthia? That we can, Oh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Yes, I am. Yeah, Cynthia Covey-Haller, H-A-L-L-E-R. You can find her there. We are talking about her book. It's called Live Life in Crescendo. Subtitle is very important because this is what we're talking about. Your most important work is always ahead of you, is always ahead of you, no matter what your age, no matter what your situation is. Obviously, hit uh, Ray had a problem, bigger problem than most of us have. Yes. But it's it's meant to be. It's up to me. So we have to decide. So I I really love the way you laid it, laid it out in terms of the different stages of life. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so tell me, why did you take that approach? And give me some high points on that. Yeah. Well, Marty, they, there are probably a lot more stages, but I identified four major ones that um, my father and I thought could be roadblocks or could be set, you know, difficult to to decide to live in crescendo or dominiendo. <coughs> and the, excuse me. The first one is the midlife, which is um, uh, where you uh, midlife is basically where you are now compared to where you want to be. You mm. kind of wake up and think, wow, I'm 50, I'm in a dead-end job, um, and, you know, maybe some of my relationships aren't great, you might be stagnant, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to respond to this? Do I give in to it? George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life thought he was unsuccessful because yeah. he, he wasn't the bigwig, how successful people are measured by money and travel and, and the things he did, but he later found out he was the most successful person in town because he helped others. He yeah. he was a person that helped them uh, realize their potential. He was a true leader. And that was, so we're kind of redefining success. Mm -hmm. Success we've defined in this book also is being um, true to your most important relationships, your most important roles in life. That uh, besides you're a business person, you're also a father or a mother, a grandfather, you're a community leader, you're a volunteer, you're someone that cares about the lonely person across the street. So that the midlife, so the two perspectives are, are you may be more successful than you think, see success for what it truly is. And second, if you, if you are in a rut, if you are stagnant, then, then be proactive, 
uh, habit one, take control of your life and do something, make a change. Uh, one man lost his um, business. He got kicked out by his business partners and he decided to go to law school at 49. He's mm. the oldest person by far in his class and uh, went into the parking lot one, one icy cold morning at five in the morning and he just full of despair thinking, what have I done? I'm 49. I've got years of law school ahead of me. What, what, what am I doing? And decided I'm going to, I'm going to live in crescendo. I'm going to grit it out and go through with this. He got through in two and a half years and at 51 set up his own law firm and was in business and having more work than he could handle. Mm. So sometimes you do have to take control of your life and make a change. Yeah. Yeah. Then the second one is pinnacle of success. There's so many great examples of people who have reached the pinnacle of success and still contribute. My dad thought it was a false dichotomy to say there's only two alternatives um, to, um, to retire, to keep working or retire. And the third alternative is keep making a contribution. And yeah. so these people, people like John Wooden, who, um, you know, is the greatest uh, basketball coach of all time yeah. um, in some circles. And yet the last third of his life, he was his most meaningful. He was a yep. mentor. And yep. that was where he was so successful. Melinda Gates with her great work in the foundation that they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, she's a billionaire and she doesn't have to go to these poor um, countries, underprivileged countries um, and live there and see these problems to help uh, with deep um, inequity and poverty. And yet she does. Um, so those are just a few examples of people who have, who have been, had the pinnacle of success and have gone on. Um, Paul Newman is another great story. Yeah. Life-changing setbacks. We, um, there's so many wonderful, and we kind of highlighted famous and non-famous people, hoping that, that others could see themselves in this, could say, okay, I can't do what, what um, some people with a lot of money do, but I can yeah. influence my community with my food drive that I start yeah. or with my care, uh, cleaning up my blighted neighborhood. Yes. Or become, or, or Cynthia, or focus on becoming that great grandparent. Uh, yes. Focus on being a better uh, spouse. Focus on being a better, uh, even mother or father. St start right at home sometimes, where I think sometimes we all miss the point. Uh, sometimes just start at home, you know? So, I think okay. That's, exa that's exactly where you start. You start yeah. uh, in your own family. In your, yeah. Is your daughter going through a painful divorce? Do you need to be there for your children? Yep. Do you have grandkids that need mentoring, that need someone to go to their games and and yeah. uh, care about them to be another positive light in their life? Yeah. You know, is there a lonely neighbor across the street that never gets visited and their yard is in disarray? And could you help? Could you go over and be a friend to that person? Yeah. So the life-changing setbacks um, is the next one. And those are people like Nelson Mandela, who at 71, is um, he's been in prison for for 28 years and at 71 he's released and you and you think well oh that's too bad his whole life is wasted it's gone and yet he goes on the next four years to eliminate apartheid to become the first black president in south africa with de clerk who was the president as his vice president yes. and he he goes on he lives in crescendo and doesn't allow that setback to define him the rest of his life yeah. Um, there's there's many other examples in there, life-changing setbacks. Elizabeth Smart, um, worst thing that could ever happen in the world to be kidnapped and 
raped by a terrible person for nine months, and yet she's not a victim. She's she is gotten married. She graduated from college. She has three beautiful children. She started a foundation, and now she helps those in the same situation. Um, she's expanded her her circle of influence. And then the last one is where what we've been talking about, uh, Marty. Where maybe you and I are the second half of life. Um, the reason this was the reason for the book because my father kept getting asked at about my age. Um, so are you about are you about done, Steve? You're 65. Do you think you're going to retire pretty soon? And in our home, the R word was a bad word. You didn't say that. And he thought, why would I do that? I still have such passion for my work. I have a lot to contribute. My, you know, my best work is still to come, as it is with all of us. Why shouldn't we all feel like that? Our best yeah. things are still to come. Jimmy yeah. Carter is a powerful example of this uh, contributing in the second half of life. He wasn't known as a great president, but his post-presidency has been incredible. And yeah. what he's contributed, that's his greatest contribution, what yeah. he has done in the post-presidency. So those are really quick. I'm sorry if I took too long explaining. Oh, no, that's but... perfect. All right. I enjoyed it. And I'm sure the folks listening and watching enjoyed it too. And uh, yeah, I, I love the different stages. And actually the whole book is in crescendo. You took me through the whole series thing. And then I, I didn't, ex- I, I don't jump ahead in books. I keep going. Say, oh, wow. Okay. Now another to me, uh, you know, although I hit the midlife crisis, I had all those different problems, you know, so it was nice. To, it was really excellent. The storytelling was superb. I'm going to say the book again, live life in crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you, no matter what stage you're at, no matter what age you are. Um, they're the best is yet to come, I'm sure of it, if you decide to make it happen. Now, let's wrap up uh, with this. You closed the book with some real personal stories. And I learn some things from your personal stories. So, you know, take the next few minutes and now whatever fashion you're comfortable you want to talk about, or you can leave that open so that they have to read it. But Give us some some things how you wrapped up the book and your personal, your family's journey. Well, um, I shared uh, three personal examples in our family where we had to practice living in crescendo ourselves. Sometimes um, people look at other people and think, oh, their life is easy or they don't have challenges. Every one of us is facing something that is difficult. Some are seen and some are unseen. And so that's why we need to always be kind to each other and and help each other because you really don't know what another person is going through. And just just briefly, because I do want him to read the book, um, <laughs> Marty, but that we we my mother had um, back surgery out of the blue um, that was that was crippling basically. She ended up in a wheelchair, and uh, the mother, the Energizer Bunny mother that we knew was was different and had different challenges and how we dealt with that and how she ultimately dealt with that living in crescendo. And then um, our father, uh, this wasn't known, but we decided to share it because to help other people who face similar trials and, and challenges, um, he developed front temporal dementia, which was just blew us away that he would get that. Yeah. He used his mind so much and he also was very physically active. He sharpened the saw, he practiced what he yep. preached as much as possible yep. and our family and he had to deal with that. And basically he lived in crescendo till he couldn't do it anymore. 
yeah. and gave as much as he could until he he wasn't able to to make that choice anymore. But our family had to had to wrap ourselves around these two big issues that uh, problems in our family. We didn't have we didn't feel like we had either parent. Uh, the nine of us had a mother in a wheelchair that was struggling uh, physically, and a father whose whose mind was different than it's always been, and he wasn't the same person. And how are we going to respond? And I'm happy to say you can you can read about it, but I'm happy to say that we we um, we did it together with our with each other and our faith, and just um, getting through deciding this isn't going to define us or, or ruin us. And we're going to overcome it. And then the third one, um, after our father passed away a few months later, my brother Sean's um, daughter, um, Rachel, passed away from effects of depression at 21. And this was devastating. And yet uh, Sean and Rebecca courageously decided we have three choices. We can let it destroy us. We can let it define us. Or we can let it strengthen us. And they courageously chose to let it strengthen them and their family and our entire Covey family. And it's inspired many others. So they started a nonprofit called Bridal Up Hope. Um, Rachel, my, my niece, loved horses. And she found her voice riding horses. It brought her a lot of joy and happiness. And they actually found after she passed away that she had helped other girls with their self-confidence and self-worth through riding horses. And so they started this nonprofit uh, that that teaches uh, equestrian training uh, for young girls who struggle with anxiety or depression, who have had trauma or abuse, or who just need to help their self-confidence and self-esteem, which a lot of teenage girls do. Yeah. And it's from 12 to 18, and they offer these lessons. Um, they also accompany it with seven habits for highly effective teens. So yeah. besides the equestrian training, you have some life skills being taught. Uh, to them so they can so they can uh, deal with the challenges they face and then the last component is service they ask them to give back and serve at the barn and serve others and so this has been very successful but for my for my family it was um, it was a response to living in crescendo or living in dominiendo Cynthia what a remarkable discussion I thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart you know I've followed your dad's work. I've taught your dad's work. I've shared it with possibly thousands of people. So I'm honored that uh, you're with me today. I'm honored that you took time to write this book, finish this book, Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. Folks, this is not a book you're going to get and read in two hours. This You need to sit down and, and think about this, put notes in the margins, Dog ear the pages, share it with others. Uh, no matter what stage in life you are, you're going to love this information. And because her heart is in it and her dad's heart was in it. And so, Cynthia, thank you so much for being part of the Business Builder Show. Thank you so much, Marty. And we're happy to adopt you as the 10th child in the Covey family. <laughs> well, what an honor. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for okay. having me on. <laughs> thank you so that. much. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show. Till next time, we'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Find all our shows and many other great podcasts at businessbuildersmedia.com. That's businessbuildersmedia.com.